Welcome to the Playing the Game podcast with your hosts, Brock White and Cody Ransom. This podcast is the place for all things baseball, hunting, and entrepreneurship. These two guys have put in the work and have the stories and advice to back it up. Brock is a longtime business owner, and Cody played pro ball for over 18 years. Driven deep to left field. There it goes. See ya. A long home run for Cody Ransom. The one thing that brings these two guys together is hunting. Babe Ruth said it best. Never allow the fear of striking out to keep you from playing the game. This is the Playing the Game podcast, presented by Rolly White RV. Welcome, y'all, to Playing the Game podcast. I'm your host, Brock White, with my host, partner. Co-host. Co-host. There you go. Cody Ransom, how are you? Cody Ransom. What's going on? We have Matt Pagnozzi here today, special guest. Went to high school with Matt. I've known Matt for a long time. I saw him. Last time I saw Matt was in 2006 in the Safeway <laughs> at like 9 o'clock at night. This is true. I'm not going to ask what department. It was <laughs> the meat department. Hopefully it was the meat it was, department. It was, it was actually the meat department. It was meat the department. meat department. I like it. Late time dinner. Yeah, just uh, a little bit of a break between real estate classes and dip into Safeway to get some food and what see heck? Brock White. Yeah, I hadn't seen him in... About five years, and <laughs> yeah. now here we are about 15 years later since then. Yeah, crazy small world, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, funny story, we actually recorded a bunch, and then I looked down to realize that we didn't hit the record button. So, we actually didn't record anything. So, we're going to redo the last 30 minutes? or Redo so. it. So, we're going to have Matt tell, give <laughs> us his, uh, who's Matt Pagnozzi? Take it away, buddy. <laughs> Uh, this is good. Now, um, born and raised in Arizona. I grew up in Globe, Arizona, and went to Miami schools. And then um, my eighth grade summer, I moved to Gilbert. And that's Describe where. Globe, Arizona for everybody. And also, it's Miami, Arizona, not Miami, Florida. Yes. And for anybody listening. Miami, Globe. Not Miami, Ohio. Miami, no. Oklahoma. Uh, no. No, but the, the locals call it like Miami. What do they call it? It's not Miami. 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 That's it. That's yes, it. sir. Uh, Miami. So describe Globe, Arizona, Miami, Arizona. It's it's a uh, it's a beautiful place. No, it's it's a copper mining town. Um, that's the economy up there. My dad is an electrician at the copper mine when I was a kid, and um, and that's where I grew up. I mean, that's I love it. I love growing up in a small town and having that experience and coming home from school, jumping on my four wheeler and just going riding up in the hills out the, out the back of my neighborhood. Yeah. Um, but you know, now I live in Gilbert, Arizona. I've lived here since my eighth grade summer, and, and I love Gilbert, Arizona as well. So I love the big city, um, but I love growing up in a small town as well. See, I, I grew up here in the valley, and but my family's from Springville, Eager, and I feel I'm not built for this city life. <laughs> like, I feel like the older I get, the less I'm built for it. I begged my wife this weekend. I'm like, can we move? I'm so sick of it here. <laughs> She I want to. What no. you said about being able to hop on your quad and ride right. out the back and just. And like, before it was a quad, it was my ten speed. Right. I mean, yeah. and, and I right. think about it to like me and my buddy Murph growing up. It's like, mom, we're going to ride, and we would. How old back, were you? Like ten. Yeah, and I think about that. I have a nine-year-old daughter, six-year-old daughter. Like if my nine-year-old daughter came over from school and says, "Hey, we're going to go ride bikes," and I look at where I rode as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like we went out the back of our neighborhood, down dirt roads, 
for miles. No cell phone, no, right. no nothing. I'm like, you know, the truck hit us going around the corner on a dirt road, like, you know. Yeah. But it's, I mean, that, that's what I love. Run around changed. the hills, yeah. BB gun. I remember the stuff I did when I was, like, that age and, like, crossing main streets. And I would never let the streets, though. <laughs> well, <that's, laughs> like, like yeah. I, same thing. I, I mean, my dad still lives where I grew up. Yeah. And we'd jump on the bikes and ride to school that was seven miles away. I'd ride my bike to the bashes so I could get ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> right. Nobody, but you could jump on a quad or a, a three wheeler back then, right? And yeah, right well, down the side of the road, nobody would say anything. And and people you know, are all sensitive some, nowadays. Yeah, yeah. shocker. So. <laughs> well, that's that, that is kind of what I like about Gilbert a little bit. You still see a little bit about it. Feels that. like a a town kind of. It's. I think out where we are, it does. Got to get on the edges because we're, we're out. Yeah, here. we got farmland. Yeah. Yeah. It's turning into houses, but quickly. Yeah, like within the next year. <laughs> yeah, we're we got like a little bit tick. The clock's ticking, man. And then we're. You already know. I'm out. I just. We're already working on it. Where yeah. are you going? Anywhere. <laughs> Not here. Anywhere that's. I'm deer. going back across the street from where I grew up. Deer, go. elk, you, wherever that is. Nice. Just put me on a big chunk of land. I'll homeschool the kids for all I care. Uh, <laughs> Hold on I, I don't second. know about that. I just went, you I just will went through or that. your wife? <laughs> the wife will. Well, I will teach she them. know that? No. Okay, well, you might want to clear that first. <laughs> That's if like you the, enjoy your marriage. When we uh, move into the house, she's like, hey, well, you get the kids ready for school. I'm like, yeah, what, what's the lesson today? <laughs> They're ready. They're ready. Right <laughs> sit here. on the, sit on the couch. I They're bought these books for you to teach the kids. I'm going to go look for deer. For <laughs> <laughs> looking for dinner. I can't wait for the kids to start school on Monday. Oh, they it's, start this Monday? Yeah, my, my youngest starts on Monday, and then my, my oldest starts Kindergarten? The, the following weekend. Uh, first grade. First grade. But just with everything being shut down, Chandler's kind of staggering their, their start now. Yeah. And uh, speaking of homeschooling, I don't think my wife or I, actually, I'm, I'm very certain we're not built for that. And I'm not that built is for why, That is why. No, I, if the school that. was, like, learning how to uh, mow the yard yes. and... <laughs> Hunting and you know, bow and skinning animals, and we'd yes. be good. Then we're good to go. But if it's not that, I think I'm kind of in a bad spot. There's a reason I'm not a, a fourth grade math teacher, right? You know, for sure, absolutely. Oh. Yeah, you're lucky. My kids don't go back for another month because they're junior high and high school. Yeah, so you're right. We have we don't go back till the 13th. So I think the when they let kids back in school, like. The marriage counselors are going to lose a bunch of work. Like, marriages will go back to normal. There's less tension in the house. Oh, yeah. It's been great having them home, but it's also, like... Bittersweet, right? Yeah, like... Absolutely. Do your work. It's awesome that you got your family there all the time. Right. Like, my wife was saying how much she enjoyed it, Mm -hmm. but didn't enjoy it. At the the same exact time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, I feel bad for the kids that parents both have to work. Yeah. Like, did I feel they bad for those parents because they have to do something, whether it's daycare or yeah. get the, the gut feeling they have if they have to leave them at home by themselves. Mm-hmm. I know a lady that had to leave her 8-year-old at home. She didn't have any options. And she's the only one that makes money. That's rough. And Yeah. I mean, I, going, back 30, going back 30 years ago, that was fine. 30 years ago, does yeah. we hung out. Yeah, like, go play with that guy. You're fine. Cool. I'll see you Don't later. Don't worry about it. I'll bring dinner home. Right. So, 
grew up in Globe, made the switch to Gilbert, where you went to Highland High School. That's where we met. The Hawks. Yep. And you had your buddy Josh was on the team. You guys both yep. came over, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So my, my parents split up about sixth grade through eighth grade, and uh, they, got, they went through a divorce. In that time frame, I visited my dad on the weekends a lot and came down here and realized that kids were playing baseball year-round. And up in Globe, Miami, I was, uh, I was playing whatever sport was in season. And I was loving that, too. Yeah. But I grew up in a baseball family. My dad played professionally. I had multiple uncles who played professionally as well. And my Uncle Tom played 12 years in the big leagues with the St. Louis Cardinals. So I grew up idolizing him, watching him on TV. And, uh, and I wanted to play in the big leagues just like Uncle Tom. So um, seeing kids play in Phoenix, you know, here in Gilbert, over at Freestone Park, um, you know, mm. seeing baseball tournaments on the weekends when I'm playing football or basketball up in Globe, you know, I want to play baseball year-round. So um, my parents helped me make that decision, but I, I, I did move down to Gilbert with my dad uh, to start my, my high school um, career down here. And, and Josh Asanovich came with me. He lived with my dad and I as well. Um, I think my dad was pretty good. Uh, I don't know visionary is the right word, but he, yeah. he could see that we, we had some talent. Yeah. Um, and Josh saw kind of what I saw that he, he wanted to play baseball down here. He had big goals as well to play in the big leagues. And so, yeah, my dad kind of raised us both that early part of our, our high school career. And, and, uh, it was awesome. Yeah, I just remember Josh, you guys, these two glow boys, like, that could play good baseball. I'm like, what the, what do you guys do up there? Like, where'd they come from? <laughs> I didn't even the know time, they huh? knew how to throw baseball up there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, 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 it was that vibe a little bit too, especially because we came down here and there was, you know, you get to that point where freshman year, everything's fine. Actually, Josh ended up going back to Miami High School and playing his freshman year at Miami. He just, he missed his family that much. Yeah. But after, after going back to Miami, playing a season there, after kind of spending a whole fall down here in this program, he realized, man, this isn't even close. Miami's not even close to, to Highland as yeah. far as just um, the opportunity, you know, not just the talent, but just opportunity. So sophomore year, you know, I remember going up there to watch him play his games, and he's like, say, dude, I'm going to be back next year. Like, we're doing this. And so, you know, fast forward to our sophomore year, kind of what you're saying, you know, we could play a little bit. And coming down here, that didn't sit well with some kids that were – hoping to make varsity as sophomores. And now we have yeah. these two kids that kind of came out of nowhere and giving them a little bit of a run for their money. For and, sure. And, and so Josh is a shortstop, me as a catcher. And, um, you know, Mesquite High School opened around that same time. And there was, yeah. there was definitely some transfer, transfers from Highland over to Mesquite, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we had a great coach with, with Keith Brown over at Highland. He, he was great for that program. And uh, – and we loved all four years over there. Yeah, Keith Keith was a good guy. He had a son that could play ball. I remember him. And we had some – there's some cool guys on that team, like uh, Devon White's son, nephew. We, we had Adonis Hector. Yeah. Yep. We had uh, David Hurst's son. David Hurst, Ryan Hurst. Ryan Hurst. Or Bruce Hurst. Bruce Hurst. Sorry, Bruce yeah, Hurst. played for yep. the, with the, the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, but the Padres, the David name came because I was thinking of David Daniels, who whose uncle, Mike Fetters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you look at, like, <coughs> that program. We had me, you know, my uncle Tom played in the big leagues. You had Devon White kid. Yeah. You had Mike Fetters' nephew. You had Bruce Hurst's son. 
you'd think we'd have won like a state championship, but you know. <laughs> no, <laughs> didn't quite work Baseball's out. Baseball, so I felt like I honestly felt like the team was loaded with talent, but I don't know. Like the team wasn't just a team. I felt like like because I mm-hmm. see other teams that didn't have as much talent, but right. No, I, I always felt like we were going to do a lot better than what what the end of the season showed. You know, yeah. there, there was times we, like, it was like whenever we hit conference play, you know, playing against the Chandler High School where Cody went and, um, you know, some of the rifles, Gilbert and Skeet, you know, it's like we play against Chaparral, you know, who is perennial 4A state championship, and we'd beat them, you know, yeah. and we'd go into conference play, we'd play the spring break tournament <laughs> over at Corona del Sol, and we, we'd do well, you know, against Desert Vista and teams like that, we, we'd, we'd play with those boys and beat them, and then conference came, and we'd kind of, like, just fall flat. Fell apart. Wheels but, uh, came off the train, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, senior year, you you were a pretty big kid. I mean, you you were, like, the same size as you are now, right? Like Pretty close. You know, a big difference between my freshman year. My, my freshman yeah. year, I had the height, but I was skinny. I mean, I, I, I was almost getting the bat knocked out of my hands. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I busted my tail for four years, and – in yeah. my junior senior year, put on some strength. And I don't know what they fed you guys over in Globe that made you so hairy. I mean, like <laughs> Josh was a hairy sucker. I don't know if like they injected some steroids. It's cold up there, man. They, hey, well, you know when your dad's Italian and your mom's Mexican. I mean, you're, you're gonna you're gonna I mean, have some hair, man. Dude, That's it funny. was like he had like a five o'clock shadow at three. <laughs> like, like, what does this guy like? This is like that world. You know, the World Series, the, you know, coach, whatever, the small league where they had that kid that was, like, 21 oh, the playing. Little League World Series? <laughs> yeah. That Almonte kid. And I was like, Danny Almonte? Yeah. Yeah. The next year he got drafted. <laughs> <laughs> Come to find out, he was uh, actually playing in college. So, um, yeah. <laughs> he actually signed a letter of intent little, legitimately, like, two years after that because they found out he was already older and then – like, let's get that yeah. guy. Well, no, he was playing like for a high school team a couple years after that. <laughs> so you uh you get drafted and you got I think you told me fortieth round and was a kinda where they wanted to follow you in your career and hold your rights. Yep. So senior year of high school got drafted by the Cubs in the fortieth round as a draft and follow, which is basically where they, they draft you late without the intention of signing you immediately. They want to watch you your freshman year, like at a junior college, because they own your rights up until about a week before the, the, the next year's draft. That's since has gone away, but at that time, that's what it was. And so, yeah, I was draft and follow. Uh, went to Central Arizona College after Highland. Um, played played for them our freshman year. We actually won the JUCO World Series Ooh. And, and had a good freshman year. I thought the Cubs were going to be interested in signing me, and it, it just it turned out where we talked and. And they thought it'd be best if I go back for my sophomore year. And, and looking back, I, I agree with that. And um, so I went back for my sophomore year, um, played in a collegiate league between those two years up in the Northwoods League, um, and made some huge strides. Because um, my sophomore year, they turned it to a, a wood bat league. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, my sophomore year after Central, like, I got drafted in, my, in the eighth round by St. Louis Cardinals, which was special for me because my uncle played for the Cardinals. I grew up watching them. And um, ended up being the same round um, as my uncle. Really? Just 20 years apart. <laughs> and so, But he, he always brags because, you know, there was 
there was less teams then, so it was actually technically a higher pick yeah. than I was. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it's like, man, you couldn't. I mean, he had the better career. You had, you had 12 years. Now you got to tell me you're yeah, higher give, pick, too. Give me at least a draft. He's like, man. oh, you got drafted. Uh, you know what? I got drafted sooner. Can't give anything, man. But, no, it was, it was good. It was um, I have a, a special place in my heart for junior colleges. And uh, just because for me as a player, I had some natural ability. But I wasn't going to go to Arizona State and start as a freshman and play every day as a freshman. So. It seems like the majority, on tell me if I'm wrong, of – Ball players go to a, a JUCO and go up. Is that the usual path? I wouldn't say usual, but I mean you can't rule it out. I mean, uh, for, for me, I was a late bloomer, yeah. you know. And I think for the for the players that are like that, whether it be physically or just talent wise, they don't figure things out till a little bit later. I mean, Ian Kinsler, my freshman year, Ian was Ian Kinsler's a sophomore. You know, I'm a freshman, and he he actually transferred at the break to ASU because they had a need. But, um, I mean, look at his career, you know. Yeah. And, and out of high school, he went to Juco, you know, and like Scotty Harrison and Rich Harden. Andre you know, Ethier. Andre Ethier. A lot of those guys, you know, went to Central or went to Chandler Gilbert. You know, this this college, this Juco league here in Arizona is legit, you know. There, yeah. there's, some, there's some great players that come out of there that go to have some great careers. And I think that's just kind of how hard it is to predict, you know, talent-wise with baseball you know, um, as a player and project that. Yeah. Because some of the kids that were all-state selection catchers, you know, some of my competition, if you will. Um, Didn't pan out. You know, they went to the big D1s and things like that, and, they you know, it's, it's not a guarantee. You know, some guys, that that was it. They went to a D1. They never played professionally. You know, it's kind of interesting, like, going from you have those jumps in your career, right, like, from maybe junior high to high school, from JV to varsity, and then varsity to JUCO, JUCO. How? What was the hardest jump that you had transition that you experienced in your career? The hardest jump was probably my first year of pro ball. So yeah. going from June of 03 being at Central Arizona College to June of 03 later in that month, I'm, I'm up in New Jersey playing short season A-ball in the New York Penn League for the St. Louis Cardinals. And, and I'm playing with, you know, kids from Dominican Republic, kids from Venezuela, kids from University of Oklahoma, big D1 schools. And, and you know, facing pitchers, you know, as a hitter, but also trying to catch my own pitching staff, you know, was a challenge. You know, that's what we talked about, too, was at Central Arizona College, we, we had one guy who threw 95 and it was straight. Um you know, it's, you know, he would touch 98. You know, now I go to professional baseball, and there's multiple guys on that team that can throw 95, 98 with movement that I haven't seen before. Um, and they don't know where it's going, you know. And I, I'm back there. <laughs> I, <laughs> they're just true. throwing it they're, as that's hard exactly as they can. You know, and it's like, you know, I'm used to trying to sit on the corner, you yeah. know, and, and, and they're teaching me, hey, sit in the middle of the plate because you, you have a better <laughs> chance for it to miss a little bit here and miss a little bit there and still be on the plate, you know, and – and that's kind of, yeah, those guys were throwers at that time and, and trying to catch it, you know. You call something fastball low and away, and it's, it's up and in. And with some movement, you got to well, catch it. Explain to somebody how hard is it if you're set up on the outside and that guy throws high and in, how hard is it to go from where you're at to up there? It is. I mean, especially when you haven't seen it consistently. You know, that's – I used a smaller catcher's bit, too, in junior college. Yeah. And that was, that was one of the adjustments I, I made my first, my first full season was – I went from a 33-inch mitt to, like, a 34-and-a-half-inch mitt because I was like, I need I need everything I can back here. You know? Yeah. I need – That's – um, and then 
stuff going in the dirt? How much harder was it to block those balls? How much pain difference? <laughs> the pain was constant. Um, <laughs> Which is constant. The, big, the big thing for me was uh, like a left-handed slider. Yeah. You know, I remember catching some of these guys out of good D1s, and I was like, I've never seen a left-handed slider like that. You yeah. know, at junior college, you'll see one, you'll be lucky if you have many lefties <laughs> at that time, and then to have something as hard and as sharp as these guys were throwing their sliders, it was an adjustment for me tr- to block that, yeah. you know, because you're, you're calling an 0-2 slider in the dirt for him to strike out another lefty. It's like you're just not used to moving that way, you know. So explain to somebody, when you have to block a ball, what that is, because I don't think everybody knows, like, hey, <laughs> you actually sacrifice your body. <laughs> Well, understand, like, at, uh, at a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, you got, like, 0.4 seconds to, from the time it leaves the hand to get to home plate. So that yeah. means you got, like, 0.25 seconds to react. To decide, hey, how are you going to block right? this ball? Right, and then you have to do all this within that time. So yeah. you can go from there. But how like, important is it to block the ball, too? Yeah. So a lot of it is, is like anything, your anticipation of it. You know, So when you're putting down that sign, you're calling for that slider in the 0-2 count, you know, to strike somebody out. You're, you're anticipating him to put it in the dirt. So part of your mind, you're visioning. Like, I would vision the ball being in that spot before it actually happened. You know it's going in the dirt. It's, a, it's a lot easier. You know, it's like Cody is a, is a shortstop. It's a lot easier for him to work from the ground up to pick a ball yeah. than staying up and not being low enough and trying to get down. It just doesn't work that way. So for me, I anticipated it to be in the dirt. And if it wasn't, it was easy for me to just catch it. Yeah. But when you're anticipating just to catch it and now it's in the dirt – you're screwed. You're too late. You, you you locked yourself up. Way too late. Yep. Yeah. And, I mean, explain to somebody, their listeners, like, you got an 0-2 count. Guy's going to throw a nasty slider in the dirt. What happens? I mean, he swings. You block the ball. He's struck out, right? But since you didn't catch it clean, he can run the first, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you can turn a strikeout into – Guys on first. Yeah, so it's not just blocking the ball, but you have to control it too, you know. So it's not just getting in front of it, but it's once it hits you, is it is it bouncing to your left and right where you can't get to it in time? He's getting to first, or are you keeping it right there in front of you where you can just grab it with your hand? Yeah. So there's a little bit of an art to it. Yeah, that's why I like a little. <laughs> there's a lot of bit of an art to it. I love catching yeah. and catchers and because I feel like they can – I feel like they kind of just like run the pace of the game. Would you agree with that? Like they can set the pace and speed up, slow down. Yeah, that, that's what I liked about it was just being involved in every pitch. Yeah. You know, what, what I think my first love was, was pitching and ultimately having control, standing on the mound, holding the ball and controlling the game in that direction. But uh, after hurting my shoulder in high school and kind of have to, uh, having to decide between pitching and catching, um, I chose the catching route because I could do it every day and, yeah. and still be pretty much involved in every pitch thrown that game. How much wear and tear – catching put on your body so far so good but I don't, I don't know how many more miles I have left I, I don't know how I got to to catch my whole life I still haven't had a knee surgery knock on really? wood um you know I, I don't know how many more miles before I have like a knee replacement but um I think I was lucky to to catch as long as I have without any any major injury especially yeah. to my knees that's cool how about your shoulders and yeah I had that one injury in high school shoulder wise and I guess being 16 years old at that point kind of healed up, and that helped. Um, and, and luckily, it's able to to stay pretty healthy throughout my whole career. 
Nice. And then, so you, you, your sophomore year, you get drafted by the Cardinals. What's the process? What's the process from there? Because nothing's guaranteed, right? Like, yeah, you get a uniform. That's it. I mean, they they have a little money invested. Obviously, the higher you get drafted, the more money they have invested in you. The little bit more uh, more time you have as a player to develop. Um, but there's always somebody coming behind you the following year and the following draft that wants your spot. Yeah. You know, so there's there's no shortage of players and and very good players too. So. Um, times of the essence to, to produce and put up numbers and, and to go, you know, to the next level, whether it be from low A to high A to, to double A, triple A, the big leagues. How much pressure did you put on yourself? I wouldn't say a lot. And, and, and I, th- I feel like that kind of sounds a little bit bad, but for me it was like I went out there and gave it my all, whether it's in the offseason training, whether it's training during the season. You go out there and play, and it was like I'm giving it my best, you know, and it was uh, looking back – you know, I never took anything for granted, but um, whether just going to college on a scholarship, whether making varsity as a sophomore in high school, um, or, or getting to the big leagues, I, I just I laid it all on between the lines, and and uh, it helped me kind of have no regrets to um. to what I did. You know, I don't feel like I ever really took anything for granted, and uh, I was the player. I had some natural talent, but I couldn't just get by on that. Yeah. You know, if, if I didn't work hard in the gym, if I didn't work hard. <laughs> on the field, on practice, trying to continually develop, um, there's no chance I would have had uh, the career that I had. It seems like you had a good work ethic from from your dad and years before even high school of training for baseball. And it sounds like when you got to the major leagues, you just kept that. You never took your foot off the gas. Absolutely. You know, I mean, because it's – What's the saying, Cody? It's it, it's hard to get to the big leagues. It's even harder to stay there, mm-hmm. you know. And that's that's the truth. I mean, they they expose all your weaknesses up there. And it's, if you're quickly. not making those adjustments, if you don't make those adjustments really quickly, you'll find yourself back in the minor leagues. And um, you know, I ended up there. I, I was as a player. The higher I went in the minor leagues, the higher I went in professional baseball, the better I played. Yeah. And I was just that catcher where I was kind of that third string catcher. Yeah. You know, if somebody got hurt, I went up, and if I did well. Awesome, but a lot of times I found myself going back to AAA even after having success in the big leagues, you know, and so. Well, because sometimes they got a lot of money invested in a guy, right? Absolutely. And then so it's like it's not even about who's better. Right. Because now this GM has his stamp on this guy that they paid a bunch of money for. So even though Pags is doing better than this guy, we have to play that guy. There's that aspect, and then there's just the aspect, you know, I came up in the St. Louis Cardinals organization. You know, so, I mean, Mike Matheny was a starting catcher when I got there. And Yadier Molina was about a year and a half ahead of me. And so. Those are you're some talking, awesome catchers. You're talking about gold glove catchers at a minimum. Yeah. And, and Yadi probably being the, the best catcher of all time. Yeah. You know, when it's all said and done. And so, for me, it was. Um, How cool was it to play with him? Phenomenal. He, uh, not just because his talent. I mean, that, that's fun to see that on a daily basis. But. Uh, He's a great guy, too. He treated me really well, even though I guess we could say we were competition for each other, you know, even though he's in complete another league. But um, just the way he handled himself. He mentored you, would you say? Helped you out? He mentored everybody in the organization, you know, and he kind of knew when to do that because, you know, my first spring training, you know, he was kind of that double-A catcher under under Matheny, you know, and that's kind of how he got his shot. Matheny got hurt. Yachty was in triple-A doing well. They They call Yachty up. And, you know, 
Yeah. He's Yadier Molina, and, the and they could tell that they could tell he's kind of the the, the next guy, you know. And, yeah. Um, but he handled it well, and um, throughout our career, I mean, he just he helped everybody. It doesn't matter if he was young Dominican kid, Puerto Rican kid like him, like himself, or, or somebody like me. I mean, he treated everybody really, really well, and always had time to answer questions or, or work with somebody. Seems like I always like love to see guys that have no financial benefit to helping these guys out but they do it anyways because that's the right thing to do i see like my buddy john dudley i've been to the archery shoots with him and he has a line of people with that want him to fix their bow that he didn't sell them there's zero knock on archery product on it at all and he's just fixing the bow. He's fixing all these people's bow tape. And there's no money incentive for him to do any of it. He just does it out of... And I believe, this is what I believe, when you help others like that, that you will get better yourself by helping those. Absolutely. Whether it's sports or business or, or just life in general. Mm-hmm. You help others win. You know, yeah. there, there's a lot of... Uh, there's just a lot of power that I think it says a lot about yourself as a person, you know, when you're kind of putting your own um, benefit to the side yeah. to help bring somebody along, whether it be mentoring, like we were talking about with baseball. Um, yeah, it's. That's really cool. And we talked about how you earlier during the, uh, the mistake of not hitting record button, <laughs> we talked about how you were brought in this organization of, a culture of success. You know, you had Hall of Famers, some of the best baseball players of all time in this organization, one of the greatest coaches of all time. How much did that, just being there, make you a better player? Tremendously. I mean, you look at Tony La Russa, Hall of Fame manager, and Dave Duncan, and, and not just their playing careers, but their managerial careers. Um, you know, and then you have... Albert Pujols and, and Mike Matheny, Yadier Molina, Scott Rowland, and, you know, you look at some of these guys and just you watch how they go about their business and how they handle themselves. And, and, and that's kind of how the Cardinals organization was. Um, and I feel like there's other organizations out there where, like, you could tell they didn't they didn't just sign good baseball players, but they, they cared about, like, who are you as a person as well. Yeah. Um, and I think they realized it, it's one thing to have talent, but, like, when you have a group of guys that can work together, you know, that's yeah. where special things happen. You know, that's that's what I looked at. Like my junior my junior college team, our freshman year, we won the JUCO World Series. We showed up at the JUCO World Series, and and we knew we weren't the best team. Like yeah. You watch some of the boys from San Jack, out of Texas. You look at their lineup, and you're just like, man, these guys are specimens. You yeah. know, like, but when we got between those lines, like, our team at Central Arizona College, I mean we won the Juco World Series. We came together as a team, and, and that's not just talent, but that's that's personalities as well. That's people wanting their teammates to win, their competition to, to make each other better. Yeah, I I just think about that all the time, how, like, a, you can have this team as collectively might not have the best talent as other teams, but their camaraderie and how they meshed and even playing on the field – and they can flow with each other, and they feed off one another batting, you know. It's interesting how sometimes, like you said, you can go in 
not even close to the best, but you come out winning. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. There's definitely a lot to it. I mean, uh, being somebody that never played for the Cardinals but always saw them from the outside, I watched them growing up. I, you know, I loved watching Ozzie Smith and the, the 80s Cardinals, so I always watched them. And that organization, even going in there as a visiting player, let's say I played for the Cubs, Cubs-Cardinals, huge rivalry, right? But going in there to St. Louis and playing, their fans even will cheer good baseball. Even if, even if a Cubs player makes a great play, and they passionately hate the Cubs, yeah. they will cheer good baseball. And I think it trickles down from ownership, you know, front office, players, fans, everything about that organization, me knowing it from the outside, never playing within it, is respected. Yeah. I loved playing in St. Louis. The, the stands were red. I mean, people, everybody there had red on. And it was like... Just like a, I mean, I played for the Yankees. I played for a lot of teams, and you never got that feeling that you did in that stadium for That's any pretty, other team. And for you to be there eight years, you said. Yeah, I was in their in their organization for eight years, yep. from o oh three to two thousand ten. And what, I mean, was the party over after that? Like they, they obviously Lee had the Yachtier, Yachty, and did you see like, hey, I need to go somewhere else or? Were you forced to do that? Or were you Unfortunately, traded? they made that decision for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the door like, is that way. Like mo- yeah, most You're players don't get that luxury to make that decision themselves. But um, you know, it came on a good note <coughs> where where I got up there in 2009. Um, I got I didn't get much um, playing time in 09 because they won the Central. We went to the playoffs. So for a September call-up, I barely got four at-bats, four plate appearances. So 2010 is actually when I got kind of my big break as far as playing time. Yachty, unfortunately, um, hurt his knee. Um, and so in September, they shut him down with two weeks of the season left. The Reds ended up winning the division. At that point, they realized we're not going to catch the Reds. There's no reason for Yachty to keep playing these last two weeks. And so we had 11 games of the season left. I caught 10 out of the last 11 games. And uh, I, that's the best I played in my life we're, we're during that, that, that month of September in St. Louis. And um, come November – uh, they went a different direction. And yeah. so for me, I guess what made it easier was knowing that, like, it wasn't performance-related at that point. Where yeah, they, they might want – They just wanted – St. Louis at that point, you know, you still have Tony La Russa there, and Tony was big on veteran experience. You want so, an older guy. Absolutely. So they were looking for that next year. Hey, if Yachty's knee's barking a little bit, if he does go down for an extended period of time, we would feel more comfortable for having a veteran backup catcher. Maybe somebody who's been a starter and is now a, a, a backup catcher in their career ended up being Gerald Laird, who was a starter in his career with Texas Rangers, but that at that point was more of a backup catcher. So I think as an organization, they were a little more comfortable going into 2011 with Gerald, La- Gerald Laird as their backup rather than Matt Pagnozzi, since I was still considered a rookie and kind of unproven at, at that point, despite what I, I did yeah. you know, during September. So from the Cardinals... What's next stop? So from the Cardinals, they let me go as a minor league free agent. I signed with the Colorado Rockies on yeah. a minor league contract with the invite to big league camp and uh, went there, had a great spring training, but, you know, ended up in AAA to start the year. Who was their starter at yeah, that time? Chris Ionetta. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. I mean, he played for the D-backs, so I followed him a little bit, but, yep. yeah. Absolutely. And the Rockies were a great organization. You know, it was nice going over there. 
Um, for only being there a year, I felt like I was with them for a lot longer. A lot of those players I played against in the in the Texas League. That's uh, kind of what's cool about the minor leagues is you know playing against Cody, playing against other players. Like you play them throughout the course of your minor league career, and sometimes when you get together and actually play with them, it, it's it's pretty cool. You know, yeah. you feel like you have some history already, and you know who they are. Going to that locker room, you've a familiar face. Yeah, Cody. Absolutely. Got a lot of those. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of faces. My wife and I, we would talk, uh, you know, because I think I ended up playing with for eight organizations and um, over my 13 years. And for me, it was kind of like, especially towards the end, you know, you're chasing opportunity. So after I leave St. Louis, it was like every year was a new organization. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was a lot of first days of school, you know, where. Come in and. Yep. Whether it's a trade or you get claimed on waivers or you sign as a free agent. Did you yeah. ever, like, walk in and be like, just to break the ice, moon him? Because, <laughs> I mean, I remember. You're going to do that later anyway. Get a shower. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just let him know that, like, you're the hairiest fool here. Yeah. There ain't nobody. I, just get that out of the way up front. I'm just letting you guys know later in the shower, I don't want you to freak out. <laughs> you see a Sasquatch just, in here. It's just, not a Sasquatch. It's just packs. Just address, address the elephant <laughs> in the room, right? right? Out in the open. I know, I know this is a rumor. In the bigs. I'm just going to let you see it <laughs> firsthand. <laughs> oh, so, man. so, Rockies, then where? You went to? Later that year, got claimed by the Pirates on waivers. Um, so, I was 11. and 12, I was with the Indians in AAA. Didn't get to the big leagues in 12. Um, 13 was with the Braves. Got traded at the end of the year to the Astros. 14 was Milwaukee. And then 15 was my last year um, with the D-backs playing with Cody up in That's Reno. Cool. Yeah. 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 Who was the manager then? Of, re, of what? In Reno? No. In the, the bigs. For the Diamondbacks? Yeah. Uh, Chip Hill. Chip, right? Hill. Chip Hill. Chip Hill, yeah. Chip Hill. We had Phil Nevin, though, in, in Reno. and uh, Was he a – Nevin was awesome, man. Are you <laughs> saying that sarcastic? No, I love Phil Nevin. I think he's a great dude. He man. Third the base party? coach for the, for the Yankees right now. Oh. No, that was the year that uh, – so that was that was both Pags and I last last full season that we played. We got you know, I had opportunity the next year, but nah, took it the house. Um, but we had a great time, man. And uh, Nev was Nev was a good dude, man. Long time big leaguer. His son had been drafted that year, and uh, yeah, he would he would tell me to. Hey, you got the first inning. I'm gonna watch my son's first <laughs> <at> bat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'd go. I'll be back. I'll be like, here's the, here's the lineup, guys. Does anyone <laughs> want a hot dog? You know where to find me. Right. I'll be in my office I'm watching. Gonna, you can grab some Gatorades <laughs> for the guys. I'll be back. No, he he was great, man. He let us kind of do what we needed to do. Um, wasn't kind of kind of let veteran guys do whatever they wanted to do. Well, we had a veteran team that year. Very too. veteran team. He's, yeah, he's we a players had, manager, so he just for sure he kind of sat back and just kind of let us do whatever we whatever it was we yeah, needed to do to get ready and and uh, Cody, we had some we had some really good times. Cody, you got it. I'll oh, he would take a nap. <laughs> no, he wouldn't take a nap. He'd be he watched his son's first at bat and then he'd come out. And uh, luckily, I wasn't. He had me do that the day I had my wisdom teeth out. Well, you should have done like you should. I was done in some the lineup cr- too. Hey, you know what? We're gonna put this guy at pitcher. Cody's <laughs> pitching today. I would not be pitching at that point. <laughs> I was forty. I was out of it. Might as well just. We just want one inning, of it, okay? <laughs> Get one pitch, and then I go to the DL. Hopefully, throw it better than Fauci. <laughs> oh goodness. 
<laughs> you see that pitch? That was a trash. Yeah, we're not going to talk that about that. Like that There's is, some really bad, bad first pitches. No, that was the worst. <laughs> I don't know if it gets any worse. I don't. There's been some really bad ones. He it looked, was pretty awful. It looked but. like he tried to YouTube a knuckle curve or something. <laughs> like, did no one warm up with this guy? Like, a couple hey, pitches before but the Yesterday game? being 9-11 and seeing George Bush, seeing replays of George Bush throwing mm-hmm. out the first pitch. Yeah, dude, he, I mean, dude, he came he up. He threw a strike, and, though. Right? Oh, it, hey, it, I'm it telling was. you what. And he came on through that thing, too. There was no panic it's at all. It's not just throwing the strike, but it's how you look throwing the strike. And he, he looked the he part, didn't, too. He, he didn't even look like. He, he looked the part. He threw a strike. He had. All the pressure in the 80 world. 80 million people watching him, you know? It was like, here. Oh, yeah. So, but yeah, Pags and I had a good time in, in Reno that year with that. That whole group was a really good group. Um, I think I think your wife and my wife found out about Tahoe, oh. and we were down there often. Yeah, yeah, we'd take a lot of drives down to Tahoe in the morning for breakfast and then make it to the field by 2. It's cool. <laughs> Might as well. um, yeah, enjoy she, it, man. Melissa, Melissa wasn't a big fan of Reno until we found – Lake Tahoe, yeah. and how close it actually was. Yeah. And we were there pretty much every off day. And you both had kids at the time, right? You had a young yeah. kid. Young. We had two little girls. Two little girls. Yep. 15 what were mine yeah. was five years ago. Mine were 11 and 7 at the time. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So they, uh, yeah, we we were down there as much as we could. We lived down south, uh, Reno anyway. So I think we were like 25 minutes over to Tahoe. And That's cool. I'd go drop them off and head to the field. But it was, uh, yeah, we we had a good time. I mean, for for a final year, it was not being in the big leagues. It was uh, especially about as good as it gets there. You know, I don't know about you, but for me, not not even known as my final year. You know, right? And looking yeah. back at things, it's like I don't know what I'd prefer if it, to know that hey, this is my last hurrah, or you know, to to play the way I did. Just you know, you're giving it everything you got. And well, you, um, you said you were playing some of your best ball then, right? Yeah. So my last two seasons. Um, Figured some things out. Completely revamped my swing. Revamped myself as a hitter. Um, you know, and that and that was due to going to a slump in 14. You know, I started my my season with the Brewers in AAA in Nashville, and I started the year two for 29. And I was lucky they didn't release me. They well, actually, what's Jake Lamb at right now? Like one in a hundred? Well, they just got released. released. Finally. I mean, the guy looks on, like a good dude, but, like, seriously. I can't homie, comment on that. I'm homie can't hit a ball, dude. Like, I think. Hey, I'm I mean, going to tell you, hitting I, a ball is not easy. I'm sure. going to have his back on this one. I agree. It's tough. But you're in the bigs, hey. and you got to perform at some point in your career. All it's over. But for him, I mean, and I, we've all been there. Like, I, I, I was two for 29, and luckily I could have been like Jake Lamb. They could have released me, but they put me on, on the DL, the mm. phantom DL. And uh, you hurt his toe. Gave me some time to to figure some things yeah. out, and and that's, you know, for me, I completely revamped my swing. Tries with the Padres, Brewers, 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 Brewers. Yeah, yep. Brewers. And for me, it was it's like sometimes the your best days come after some of your darkest days. Oh. You know, not just in baseball, but in life. And uh, that brings up a good. I lo- I love this quote. It is, you know, how you handle failure will determine. How successful you'll be. So, like you said, Absolutely. your darkest days, and then you come out of it. Like you said, totally revamped, yeah. playing some of the best baseball you've ever played. Absolutely, you know, because I could have, I could have definitely said, "Well, I'm two for twenty-nine. Um, you know, thirty-two years old, a wife and two kids. I'm gonna take it to the house." You right. know, had a terrible April, two for twenty-nine. I'm going home. It put, you know, I'm not gonna hang out in the DL. I'm healthy. I'm not even hurt. But yeah. you want me to hang out just for an undefined amount of time? But no. It's like, for me, it's like 
guys would still kill to be in my spot and still be able yeah. to, to have an opportunity. It was sometimes. So I got to work with the hitting coach and I went from kind of being spread out with my feet lower in my base, kind of low in my legs. Like to, a pool holes kind of swing? A little bit. A little bit, yeah. Getting my foot down early to go into more like an Evan Longoria. Yeah. You know, feet underneath my shoulders, standing tall and upright, not okay. worrying about really getting my foot down early and learning the whole rhythm and timing of my swing and going from a guy that kind of was like, oh, I'm going to stay up to right center, you know, stay inside the ball to the hitting coach saying, hey, like, I know you typically like the ball out away from you and, and you don't entertain much inside, but I want you to do the complete opposite. I want you to cut the plate in half and look for everything inside and everything away, just kind of let, let tip let your it go. Who's that hitting coach? Um, gosh, on the spot, I can't even Sorry. think of it. No, he's here in Arizona. <laughs> because I like him. You like him. <laughs> no, I like him already. Absolutely. Full side homers. And, and for me, and yeah. that's what he said. He's like, you know, I don't want you focusing on hitting home runs, but I want you to hit the dog shit out of the ball. And explain to people, like, the difference. Because, like, I totally agree with you. I'd rather hit a ball, as, like a line drive off the top of the pitcher's head. I know that's like. Bob Scooby, sorry. Before okay. I forget. Gotcha. Bob Scooby yep. is a hitting okay. coach. And but he was he, he saved my, my career. My, my last two years of playing and, and getting in the big leagues with the Brewers later yeah. that year. You know, because I, I went from 229 in April. Two for twenty nine to being called up that September after having the best two hundred at bats of my career. So because of Bob, Bob Scooby, the difference between just crushing the ball and then having a swing just for home runs, like because there's guys that swing for the fence, like a home run swing. For me, for me, cause growing up, okay, like I'm with the Cardinals, I'm with Tony Larusa, and he verbatim says, "Hey, we don't want you trying to hit home runs. We want you to be able to handle the bat." get the run over, you know, guy on second less than two outs, get him to third base, you yeah. know, or, or get him get him home from third, you get know. Get the ball they, out of the infield. We have Albert Pujols. We have Scott Rowland. We have Jim Edwards. We have these guys to hit homers. To we need you to just do the small ball part, which was fine. But, like, I never learned myself as a hitter that way necessarily. I never knew how to let it eat, but in a controlled manner. manner. You know, right. I never, never was told, like, hey, during BP today, like, play home run derby. Right. Like, use your first round. Get loose up the middle the other way, stay inside it. Second round, we're doing situations, hit and run, get them over, get them in. Yeah. Um, but after that, let it eat. And, and there's a difference. And that's what I learned from Scooby was um, how to take a, a controlled, yeah. violent swing without falling out of your Nikes. Yes. You know what I mean? You, you can play home run derby. You can swing hard. You can take that 3-1 swing um, and be violent but controlled, yeah. you know. And uh, – and that, that's really where I learned myself as a hitter, and that's um, where I started hitting for some power consistently. You know, because before that, it was just kind of occasionally you'd run into a ball, you're like, dude, you got some power, but, like, I never knew how to really duplicate that, you know. Yeah. But if you're able to swing, like you said, you're going to – I mean, some of my hardest hit balls ever were just singles, line drives, sing, you know, just right up the middle. or, mm-hmm. And it's so much different than – Trying to hit a home run. Absolutely. Well, in today's game, they have measurables, right? Like, we have data on every single thing you do. So, the biggest, I guess, precursor or uh, whatever you want to call it is exit velocity. So, exit velo is going to dictate, you know, a lot of things. Uh, you're going to get more hits because you hit it harder. Yeah. It's going to travel further, all these other things. So, um, I I love exit velo. I don't. All the other stuff is the other stuff, and we have, we have really smart people that deal with that. 
Yeah. I'm just a coach. So we let the, we let those really smart people tell us what's going to be a precursor to success. But the, the biggest one for me personally is exit velo. Yeah. Uh, obviously, balls hit on the ground are going to be harder. Uh, they just are. Um, balls down are, are the hardest hit balls, so we don't want to necessarily hit ground balls. But the learning to, to drive a ball and, and catch it out front and hit it hard is like – and I think, awesome. <laughs> and I think that's that's because of those statistics and those measurables and, and having that data. I think now, obviously, we have some coaching that's catering towards that mm-hmm. um, to produce those numbers. Because, but and, and that's changed the game a little bit. And, and for since like where the coaching I had was kind of stay inside it, use a big part of the field, you know, line drive to mm-hmm. second short type deal. But like, we never worked on our three one hacks. Right. To, yeah. I mean, maybe a little bit. But not one round, maybe exactly. Yeah. Not on, you know, and that's with Bob Scooby and fourteen in Nashville. I mean, for my ten days on the Phantom DL, we worked on on that swing, yeah, looking middle of the plate to the inside and hitting the piss out of the ball. Isn't that hard? And it, it didn't time. have to be a homer. I mean, you could take the hat off the third baseman's head. I love that's you know my what I mean? favorite. And it, but it's like like maybe like a skid mark, right? And maybe. then. So for me, it was it was awesome. I learned a lot. For looking back, it's you know hindsight's always twenty twenty. But it's like, man, I wish I could have learned that ten years earlier in my career. You well, know, like what kind of player would I have been then? You know, I, but you can't I, live that way. But it's uh, it, right. it, it's it's one of those moments like that. You know, I was really in my career. I was really conservative. Like when I'd go to car auctions and buy cars, I could have bought a lot more, but I didn't. I just stuck with you know really conservative stuff, and. Yeah, like, I look back at those days, and I'm like, man, I could have made so much more money. But, you know, it's like what you said. I wish I would have known. I wish I would have known, too. But there's also something to be said about being patient, conservative, and keep trying and working hard and figuring that out, you know? Cause I w- you just hope you don't figure it out too late. Yeah. Like, that's the biggest the biggest thing. But, yeah, you're, you can't look back and – doubt that I, I did that a lot early in my career it was like oh, if I would have done this or if I would have done that and it just it, it'll wear you down you can't it do took, that for me it took a long time to let baseball go because my whole life I was like you wanting to be in the major leagues I was like I remember you know my church we do a two-year service and um, my mom asked me like hey, you going to go on your mission? I said, no. I'm going to go play baseball. <laughs> and she said, she loved no, that. you're not. <laughs> and she didn't say nothing. She just listened. And the very next year, I tore my rotator cuff. <laughs> so she just <laughs> prayed. She, she just prayed, yeah. She just prayed on it. Then. And then, <laughs> I like that. And even after that, I was like, still had this mindset. And then I transferred over to Highland, who had night and day difference in coaching. Um, and I can't tell you how important coaching is, how they can make or break a player, for sure. And and I blew my knee out, and just another like, and there was years that I always look back like if I didn't tear my rotator cuff, I didn't blow my knee out, would I still be? Could I have done it? Could right. I have done what you did? And it took a long time to realize, hey man, it's okay, like. I'm okay. You know, like, I started this other career, and I'm fine with it. 
but Absolutely. I still have a ton of passion for it. The passion's still there. I can get you in the over 35 league if you want to play. Time out, bro. <laughs> <laughs> they the, keep asking me. I'm like, all nope. Three, all three of us. Let's go. I'm man. out, dude. Yeah. There's no way I want to feel that bad again. But, you know, <laughs> Nightmares. I, I just realized, like, my body's brittle. Like, I've blown all my knees out, both shoulders. So as much as I think, man, I could have been, like, pags. Like, no, you couldn't have. <laughs> that freaking weak body, dude. Your fu- the wheels are coming off all over the place. That's funny. But, yeah, I, I'm i with you on that. Like, you look back at your career and think, if you would have done this a little different, that a little bit different, where would you be now? I think I think the big difference, too, is, like, just the knowledge you have later in life right. versus, oh. you know, and it's like, man, that, that knowledge is power. And so it's sometimes, like, it doesn't always match up with the, with the right time. You know, yeah. sometimes it's always after the fact, but um, sometimes power is not always great because you can't look back and go, God, that would have been so easy. Yeah. You know, but. Tired of going different places to get all you want? Looking for a program that offers everything? Are you interested in training, nutrition, baseball, softball, after school youth programs, hunting, or charity work? One Performance is an all inclusive program that offers training advising, instruction, and opportunity for everyone, from the beginner to the professional. With a staff compiled of some of the best in their fields, impressive backgrounds, and an unmatched passion for teaching and giving back, One Performance is the first of its kind in Arizona. With the connections and background we have in the baseball community on a local and national level, from t-ball to the major leagues, One Performance offers teams known as Arizona National BPA, opportunity for instruction, gameplay, and development in every aspect of the game, both physically and mentally. The staff at One Performance Training are some of the finest in their respective fields. They strive to educate, motivate, and assist every athlete in maximizing their abilities. Whether you're looking for an opportunity for a young athlete or a seasoned professional to surround themselves with like-minded coaches, mentors, and athletes, One Performance is the family you're looking for. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Ready for an escape? Ready for an adventure? Do you want to camp, hunt, hit the dunes, or just relax on the beach? Ruly White RV is the number one toy hauler dealer in Arizona for the past five years running. With a no-pressure culture and no dealer fees, they guarantee you a great price and a great experience as you purchase your very own toy hauler or travel trailer. Ruly White is family-owned and operated and is now expanded to five locations, including Mesa, West Phoenix, North Phoenix, Flagstaff, and Idaho Falls, Idaho. Whether you're looking for a toy hauler or travel trailer, fifth wheel or bumper pole, Rolly White can get you what you're looking for. They carry all the big names, including Genesis Supreme, Vortex, Attitude, Wolfpack, Raptor, Forest River, and the newly released Wanderer by Genesis. We all want to beat the heat or just escape the craziness and get outdoors. Let Rolly White help you get there by visiting any of our locations or checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and online at rollywhite.com. But you asked about knowing if it's your last year versus playing it. I, my last year, I kind of knew it was my last year. Realistically, I was 40 years old. I knew going in, I'd just come back from Japan. I kind of knew, like I, I, I ended up signing a AAA deal because it was in Reno, which was Lake Tahoe, and we had enjoyed 
I guess five years before that we had been there and really enjoyed it and the Diamondbacks were home and there was one more last ditch effort to try and get back to the big leagues here and retire here and um, like I said I had AAA offers the next year with minor league invites and I wasn't about it but like I, I kind of knew going in so that year was a little little different it was played a little different um, the work wasn't any different you know put in all the work I could um, but like the appreciation for the game was a little different um, I saw a lot of the young guys that were complaining and you know like I had been that guy I'd been there and so it was it was harder to deal with not harder to deal with but it was like it opened my eyes to a lot of things, and I was able to kind of address that with a lot of the younger guys as well, um, which I'm really happy that they, you know, were open to listening, I think. And, um, you know, it was, it was a really different year for me. Um, so I th- I think if I could have chosen, the other way would have been better, not knowing know. it was my last year and just playing it, like, to play it and then being done. Um Maybe, no, I, you know, but it it was just a, it was a very different year throughout. Like it wasn't, I I knew it was my last year, and I still didn't want to admit it. It still took me probably a year and a half, two years once I was done to really be able to turn the page. I mean, I played for eighteen years. You played for thirteen. But on top of that, you've been playing. <laughs> well, since a, I was five, yeah, add another what twenty one years to that. Yeah, That's I like, mean. Yes, yeah, since I was five, professionally for 18 years. Yeah. So when you got done, um, I mean, you said you and your wife talked about it on the way home after that season, but, but like, once you decided you were done, what was the, like, what was the mindset? What was the, you know, reaction from you and her? Because, I mean, they go through it as much, if not more, than we do because they're at home with the kids. They're traveling when we get traded, released, whatever. How was that handled? I couldn't imagine being on the side where our wives are, you know, where, I mean, at least we have some control. We, right. we go out, we play, we, we take those swings, we make those throws, mm-hmm. make those plays. They're, they're just along for the ride, you know. And so um, the reaction for not playing anymore and deciding to hang it up was kind of like we talked about. Man, I just got done with my last, my last two seasons were the best two seasons of my career mm-hmm. statistically. And I'm going to hang it up now just because I don't have an offer. Like, why not just take that minor league deal and go to minor league camp? And guys do get to the big leagues that way, you know, not being a big league camp, mm-hmm. even though the odds are lower. But for me, it was – it's not what I pictured. And, and what I'm learning later in life as I get older is that a lot of things are not how I envision them to be. I mean, to a certain degree, yeah, I envisioned myself as a big leaguer. And that was my drive and my motivation. And, and I accomplished that. But it doesn't always work out the way you pictured it. And – um so for me, it was I always pictured maybe not being good enough, getting to that point where I was old enough and statistically wasn't good enough, couldn't mm-hmm. hack it anymore, or going through an injury, Brock, like you're talking about, you know, hurting my shoulder or my knee or something, and being like, you know what, that's it, you know, I I got hurt and I wasn't the same player coming back or I couldn't come back. Um, so I always pictured it being one of those two, and it was something completely different, you know, something I I didn't expect, and I was playing the best baseball I played in my career. And then just get to that point in life where, like, playing AAA baseball and only AAA baseball, only minor league baseball, just kind of didn't pay the bills for 12 months out of the year. Well, mm-hmm. explain to somebody, like, and how hard is it, like, to have a family? You had two girls. Right. And I think when people hear, yeah, you're AAA, you're probably, 
they just assume, right? Like you're making whatever dollar amount and explain to people how hard that is. It's tough too because you're young and you're trying to, I mean, when you get to the big leagues and you're, and you're making big league money, you know, even, you know, it's not a guaranteed contract, but you're still making a prorated minimum of, you know, 500 grand at that mm-hmm. time. And, you know, so you're kind of living off that pay rate. And then, and then the next year, for whatever reason, you don't go to the big leagues. So there was that roller coaster financially a little bit. And, and then it was the point where, like, you make a little bit of money and, and you, you have some down payment for a house here in Gilbert. So now I have a wife. I have kids. I have a mortgage here in Gilbert. But I'm also renting a two-bedroom up in Reno because they're, they're traveling with me. So we can yeah. be a family still. You know, they're, they're supporting me. My wife's there taking care of the kids. And she's not working because she's being mom. She's being a wife and holding the family together. But uh, so you're doubled up on your bills. I have my mortgage here. I have a rent on a two-bedroom in Reno. We have, you know, getting vehicles from Gilbert to Reno and back. And, and all, moving, these, all the moving the costs. Utilities. Mm-hmm. So you go to, for, from a player um, playing AAA baseball. You know, let's say my last two years I made 75 grand to play. Per year or? 75 grand in that five-month season yeah. for AAA. For, for a catcher that's got Each some year. big league time. Exactly, seventy five thousand dollars a year, a season. But you also have like two two mortgages, essentially. So right? yeah, so then Uncle Sam takes taxes, and then your all your bills are doubled up. I have utilities here in Gilbert, you know, same thing. In so Reno. it's not like you're driving a Ferrari around. And that's no, and, and and that's fine. That's I mean, you're still willing to take that chance. Yeah. You know, you're you're living a dream. You're playing a kid's game. You're getting paid to do it. But a lot of people think that like even seventy five grand, that's good money. Yeah. But not when you have. Double, double payments. You, I mean, and you so, have two cities. You know, and, and the opposite of that is is you get to the big leagues. You know, you play well for the AAA season like I was, and, and most of my time came as a September call-up or, um, or uh, you know, one of those catchers in the big leagues get, get injured during the middle of the year. And so you go up there and you go from making 75 grand over five months to basically making 75 grand in one month, yeah. doubling your money. And everything's great. You know, you can, you can pay your bills all year and then some and, and uh, you know, go all the way to the next year. And it got to the point where just paying, playing AAA baseball, just playing minor league baseball didn't pay my bills. And, and it just um, wasn't that I wasn't thankful, but it just wasn't worth our time anymore. We'd been down that road. And, and for us, it, it was almost like we had to get to the big leagues to make things work. Yeah, I agree. So how important was it in your career? That I'm just taking a wild guess. I might not be on point but looking at your who I know you and I'm sure I haven't met your wife but I'm pretty sure that you married a pretty good girl how important was it that you're able to budget your money for baseball for you to continue that career because I imagine like guys that didn't and it maybe ended their career short because they had to go make more money elsewhere I don't know. I'm just assuming. Tell me if I'm wrong. No, I mean, you're absolutely right, and especially because a lot of kids, you know, they, they come into a lot of money in their early 20s, you know, or out of high school. They're, they're a big draft pick, or they get a, a big signing bonus and stuff like that. And um, For me, it was it was never big, huge bonuses, millions of dollars, anything like that. But, um, you know, even looking back, I never felt like um, I was a big spender. But yeah. looking back on things, it's like, I think it's just that knowledge, you know, if you, if, you know, most of my money, I, j- I put a down payment on the house. My house isn't paid off, but it helped me get into a house, you yeah. know? And so, um, you know, just knowing what I know now, it's like, 
I think we all would have maybe done something a little different with our money, but I think that's huge, and I think that's especially a lot of the kids from um, Latin America, they send Venezuela, to, Dominican. Do they send the money home? Yeah. A, a lot, lot of it, yeah. I mean, yeah. because they got to help their family, their yeah. mom and their dad or their brother, sister, or the cousins, wife, kids. Joints, right? yeah. All the above, you know, and then, but that's also like, it's probably like a double-edged sword for because, you know, growing up, I played winter ball at the Dominican for three years, so I'll use that as a reference. But, like, for a lot of those kids, baseball is the only way off that island. Yeah. You know? And then you sign a professional contract is a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal here in the States. But, you know, on the island, it's probably even more so. And so you start making some money, and you start being in some of these nice cities in America, you know? And, and a lot of money for them is different than a lot of money for, like, Americans here. And then not having anything either. And then finally being able to buy, you know, maybe some expensive things or some nice cars, things like that, um, you know, and then they get hurt or whatever. And, and it's just kind of sad sometimes when and it happens to kids here in the States. It happens to anybody, you know, when, when they just kind of are living by right here, right now and not, not looking ahead. Yeah. Sure. Have you ever seen money ruin a career? I've seen people stop working once they get paid. So, like, I've, I've seen them grind and grind and then maybe sign a two-year deal for you know maybe a couple million and then party's over well just the work stops like they're content with what they had or where they got to it's really sad because like but it doesn't always happen i mean that's not a lot of people drives them more but yeah it just, just depends on the I, makeup i remember like that eric burns signing car, the d-backs did and is that his name eric burns mm-hmm. and he was good one season and then gave him a bunch of money the next season he sucked sometimes you just suck sometimes <laughs> it's right sometimes it's not it's not work ethic and it's not anything other than you just had a bad Do year and that like, happens often well, in his case wish, he had some big injuries too yeah he, know, he got blown out hamstrings yeah, and he got pretty hurt stuff so. like that you ever wish you're Tomas like he has money, Tomas. I do not. No. he made like seventy million. <laughs> he and did. played in Triple A his whole career. <laughs> he played one year in the big leagues. Yeah, it was. I mean, good signing for him. We, bad signing with him in Reno. I mean, yeah. He, he was oh there, yeah, he, he came was, up. He was there in the beginning of the year in yeah. Reno with us. Like and two Twinkies, one in each back pocket. <laughs> he's actually a really good dude. Really? Like he's a really good guy. Um, Had some talent too. You know, he can hit for sure. He can uh, rake. They didn't have a place for him defensively. Probably signed. It probably would have been a better American League sign than National League sign. But Do you think he's going to get an offer next year? Mm. I, I mean, not for the money. No, no, money. he won't sign for any money. He'll be. I mean, he he could feasibly be a like a Triple A sign if if we end up having a minor league season. But for the D backs or no, 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 D, I, Diamondbacks would be done with him. I, I would assume. I I can't say that because I work for him. But like, it's just my assumption. I have yeah. no idea what they're what they're planning on doing. But. Um, I, after what we've seen, I, I don't really anticipate them signing him back. But yeah. you know, it is what it is. You know, so there's it's business. There's yeah. bad deals. There's good deals, and and that was probably not D-backs the best deal for the Diamondbacks on that one, on that one and they their struck. regime. But you can't always blame the player either. No, you know, if somebody's gonna overpay you. You're not gonna tell them no. You know what? Seventy million? No. You know what? Give me twenty. You're no. overpaying. <laughs> You're overpaying. I <laughs> promise you. You're going to be disappointed. But he, you know, good deal for him, bad deal for the organization. It's not the only one that's happened, and there's been some other ones where they've probably gotten yes. a lot more out of a player than they paid him. So, I.e. Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah. Freaking yep. Goldie. He's a great player, great person. 
Like all of it. He has the goofiest swing though, I think. It's well, just like this. Any super swing compact. any swing that works is a swing that the barrel finds the ball consistently. Yeah. This is just <laughs> it does, on. yeah. So it yeah. works and he's got some thump, so so Pags, after playing, uh after you retired, what'd you get into? Uh immediately I, I went into real estate. I already had my real estate license. Um that's when I saw Brock, you know, going to real estate school back in 06, got my license in 08, and fast forward to 2015, um, we drove home from that season saying, hey, let's let's get the ball rolling on real estate this this off season. try to do as much as we can in preparation where if we don't play next year for whatever reason, we kind of have that momentum. Um, so I was, I was working out, still planning to play in 16, but I was also working, doing real estate. Um, started a real estate media company with a couple of my best friends. Um, doing professional photos and 3D virtual tours and drone shots and all that stuff. And then um, fast forward to August of 16, um, I wasn't playing baseball. That was done. Selling houses, but also doing the media part. Um, but just like my minor league career and not having any consistency income-wise, that's kind of how real estate and the, the real estate media company was. And I was looking for some consistency, mm-hmm. you know, in a paycheck and, and benefits. And so that's where um, – my wife comes from a, a firefighter family. Her dad was a captain for Phoenix Fire Department for 31 years. Um, my brother-in-law, who married my wife's middle sister, he got hired at 19. And it was at that point where I knew that they were going to be hiring that October. And for me, firefighting never jumped out. The only thing that jumped out at me, like post-baseball, and I remember sitting in the bullpen in Reno, actually going back to like 06 in Daytona Beach. I'd sit, like days I wasn't playing, I'd sit down there in the bullpen late, I talk to guys like, hey, what do you, baseball ends right here, right now, for whatever reason, you can't play another day. What are you doing for work? And I was always asking guys because I didn't have something that jumped out at me. Real estate was the only thing where I was like, I want to sell houses. I like helping people with real estate. But I wanted something maybe a little bit different. Like, what else is out there besides that? And some guys, you know, they're, oh, I want to go into coaching, which is great. But that, that never jumped out at me. It was never desire. Firefighting wasn't. You know, my wife was always like, hey, well, what about being a firefighter? Like, I Tons of my, my college teammates, high school teammates, um, professional teammates are, are firefighters. And they used to always tell me in the offseason, are you done playing? You're like, when are you going to take the test? And I was like, nah, yeah, I'm good. I'm selling houses. Like, I, I have no desire to be a firefighter. So um, I think kind of just looking for that consistency. I was like, all right, I know they're hiring in October. We're in August. I need to go do a ride-along. Like, I, I've been to fire stations. Uh, growing up in Globe, Arizona, Freddie Gamero, his dad <clears> – <throat> Al Gamaros was, you know, captain chief, all that stuff up at Globe Fire Department. I've been around firehouses my whole life. My sister was a firefighter. It just never jumped out at me until I went on this ride along. I went to Station 15 with my brother-in-law. I said, hey, I just need to come hang out with you guys for a day, see, just be around it again. And it, it wasn't, at that point, you know, I've, I've been at a clubhouse for, you know, over a year now. And it, it hit me at lunchtime. We're sitting there eating lunch, and I'm like, man, we, we got here we worked out. We went and did some training. We went and shopped for food. We made lunch. We're sitting here. Guys are jabbing each other, talking BS, just like a clubhouse. And uh, But they're also talking about, hey, taking a camping trip, going to the lake together with their families. And to me, you know, I, I flash back to Reno. You know, days off, we're hanging out at Lake Tahoe, mm-hmm. you know, with, the, with all the guys on the team and their wives, their girlfriends. Right. And, and for me, it was like I was back in a clubhouse, that, that firehouse at 15, at Station 15. It was like, 
I didn't know I was missing that mm-hmm. until I was there and felt it again. Right. You know, it wasn't like I was selling houses and sitting in an office or anything like that or doing real estate media thinking like, oh, man, I, I just want to be back in a clubhouse. Or I didn't know I missed that camaraderie right. until I got back around it again. And, um, you know, in, in 2016, you know, I, I talk about it was August at that time, but I maybe worked out six times in six months, mm-hmm. you know, because for me it was like, I didn't have time to go to the gym. I was working so much. And then it was like, what am I going to go to the gym for? It's not going to motivation. It's not going to help me sell a house better. It's right. not going to help me take better real estate photos, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so for me, I just didn't fit it in my schedule, but I, I've been a guy that I played my career cause I, I worked out hard cause I had to do that part. I didn't have all the natural talent to avoid the gym. And the day I chose, all right, I'm going to take this test. I want to, I want to be a firefighter. I want to do this. The very next Monday, I was back in the gym Monday through Friday working out. I had a reason to be in the gym and, and I love working out, you know? So here I am, you know, three years plus on a Phoenix fire department as a firefighter. I still sell real estate. I probably spend more time doing that than I do at the firehouse. But, um, I love the balance between the two because I didn't have to necessarily give up real estate, Mm -hmm. you know? And I, I searched other opportunities besides Phoenix fire department. I, um, my dad works for SRP. I applied for SRP before I applied for, Phoenix Fire Department. And, you know, looking back, thankfully I got denied. Actually, they said they didn't need my services at SRP. And I was kind of offended, but, um, <laughs> and that was for a temp spot at the call center. I'm like, I'm not good enough to answer a phone and help somebody with customer kid. service. Like, it didn't like on. your voice. Right. But, um, you know, looking back, it's, it's awesome. I, you know, I work roughly 10 days a month at Phoenix Fire Department. We work a 24 on 48 hours off type schedule. And um, it allows me to, I like to help people, you know, so whether it's helping somebody with my services at Phoenix Fire Department or whether it's helping somebody buy or sell a house or invest in real estate, um, you know, help a first-time home buyer or help a family get out of an apartment into their own house and start building some, some wealth that way. Um, that's, that's what I have a passion for. That, that's what I've been doing basically these, these last five years. And, and honestly, the, the spot that Melissa and I are in with our, with our girls and living here in Gilbert and she has a good job and, um, life's really good right now. It's, you know, it's, we, her and I talk, it's like, you know, you get the, the Facebook memories, you mm-hmm. know, this day yeah, eight, yeah. eight years ago, and it's a right. picture of you and your wife and your little babies in the big leagues. Right. Yeah. And you're like, you know, make the comment to her like, man, those are glory days. But like, you talk about like, you don't miss your body feeling that way. You don't miss <laughs> sleepless nights thinking about swinging at that slider or something, you know, and, and some of that, that realness, mm-hmm. that, that side of the game that people don't see. Right. You know, and she talks about like, no, like these are the glory days we're living right now. And they really are. Like I, I was thankful for that career we had, but I'm really thankful for the careers we have now and what's going on right now. That's so good. after baseball, your life right now compared to your peak or base in baseball, which one would you take? I think no doubt it, it's the baseball. Um, and, and that's nothing against – you know, I don't know where I'm headed with Phoenix Fire Department or real estate. You know, yeah. th- th- those paths are going really well. But um, I think, you know, Cody can speak on this a little bit too. Like, we got to live out, like, our childhood dream at a very young age. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of guys really struggle with I know I struggle with that. I, uh, I was a player. I, looking back, I don't regret one at-bat of my career. I felt like I would tell myself multiple times a season, like, don't forget, like, no matter how bad things are right now, like, you're lucky to be in this spot. I, I realized how lucky I was to be there, and there's tons of guys that, that would give a lot to be there. 
so I don't have regrets that way, but um, it's just, uh, I don't know, I, I like where we are right now. It's, it's, yeah, you're in a good spot. Yeah, I, I really do. I, I, I would, I would choose the baseball thing all day long, but you know, getting out of baseball, I always tried to project like, what am I going to do? I know this is going to come to an end. Like, don't don't take it for granted. But when it came to an end, it was, it was a lot harder than I anticipated. Like, what was hard? The life is hard. Like it's life, like finding a <laughs> job, adjusting to being home and not on the road. All the above. Yeah. Really, I mean, uh, being married and, and just the dynamics of everything. You know, it's, you're at um, home every day with the kids now. Well, when we played, like, I mean, you can speak on this too. But when we played, like, our families, uh, wives, kids whoever else parents that help out whoever they establish a life without us i don't mean that a bad way but we're gone a lot almost like a military deployment yeah like we're gone all the time so they have their life and then we come home from the season we screw all that up but we expect it to be the way that we want it You're when like, we hey, get wait, home you know I'm, what i mean like I'm we're the, like hey i'm, I'm the home. dad here yeah, i'm so home let's, let's do this and we all we did was come in and screw everything up yeah so then when we retire we screw everything up for the next year or two, right? Like, because cause we expect school to go this way and, and, you know, after school activities to go this way. And, and they've got it figured out. Like, I mean, the wi- our wives, both very lucky. I, I know Melissa, you know, he knows Erica. So, like, they had it handled. We didn't have to, <laughs> we didn't have to run in and interrupt, but we did. Yeah. I did anyway. You know, like, hey, th- let me do it like this. And, you know, just stay out of the way. And, and uh, I think part of it too is, like, you know, with Melissa, like, same thing with Erica. They, they, they're supporting us and helping us chase our lifelong dream right. and helping helping us accomplish that, mm-hmm. you know. And then we got out of baseball, and, and not just myself had to go to work, but then she's going to work too. She's starting her career and starting mm-hmm. to chase some of the things that she wants to chase and accomplish right. now that maybe she was waiting for baseball to be done. And so for me, a little bit, it was kind of um, a little bit of adjustment. I think, you know, when she's working full-time, you know, and it was – you know, like her weekends, she loves her weekends to just mm-hmm. be at the house. And, not, and you know, out. for me, it's like, hey, it's the weekend. Let's go here. Let's go there. Let's go do this. And she's been working all week. And she's like, I just want to be home and relax. And right. and just, just that dynamic of relationship. So it was it was just being, I feel like just playing professional sports probably, you know, especially baseball. It's a completely different lifestyle that I think a lot of people don't understand until you're in there. And even when you're doing it, you kind of don't understand it. Right. And then when you're out of it. It's um, and I think a lot of, I think a lot of it for a lot of guys, and you see it even the fire department. It's kind of an environment where you identify as a ball player, you identify mm-hmm. as a firefighter, mm-hmm. and when that's gone, when you retire from being a firefighter, when you retire from being a ball player, if you don't have anything else, if you don't have any other identity, I think that's where the guys really struggle and go through a lot of depression because yeah. they know? they made baseball who they were. Absolutely. And that's all they have. Absolutely. They don't have any other passions outside of sports. Well, even if you do, a lot of times, if if you weren't one of those guys that was lucky enough to have a career that kind of supported your retirement, Yeah. right? Right when you retire at, let's say, 35 or 40 or whatever it may be, then you also have to find a way to work. And if you haven't done anything else other than that since you were five or whatever, right, it becomes difficult. And you don't really know, like, what you want to do. I mean, you can set up all these plans like, Hey, like I had retirement plans and I had, I had stuff that I wanted to do when I got done. And then you got to get hit in the face with like, you're really done. So, okay, now's the time to do it. 
and then that's not what you want to do, you know, or, or that's not really what you're passionate about. And you change kind of what what you think you wanted to be after you were done, you know what I'm saying? And, like, the coaching thing you talked about, never, I told you on the first podcast, like, never was that anything that I wanted to do. Didn't want yeah. to coach. Yeah. I, yeah. Can, I can relate And now I'm that. doing it, right? you know, and it's like. And you're you realize, enjoying it. Yeah, you realize you're kind of a good coach. I don't know if that's the truth well, or not, but I'm not hired like, on the, by the team <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but it's something like I started coaching kids and that was like, I would never, ever want to coach my kid ever. Like I just wanted to be a dad in the outfield that clapped. Yeah. And that was legitimately all I wanted and, and to do. And it's not like we sat in Reno in 2015 and you're like, Hey dude, when I get done, I'm gonna start these club teams and start no. coaching my boy and I'm going to grow it to be this. No. It, it wasn't like that at all. No. You know, and that's, I look at it too. It's, it's like, you know, sometimes, you know, Time, God's plan, God's timing is perfect in everything, right. you know. Yeah. So I look at it with, with my path, getting out of baseball, and, and you go through those struggles. You know, that, that first year out of baseball was not good on, like, multiple right. levels, just yeah. financially, just trying to find out, trying to hit the ground running, not just paying bills, but, like, what do I want to do? What do I enjoy doing? And, um, you know, looking back, it's like four years ago, I didn't even want to be a firefighter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Barely. September right. yeah. of sixteen. I was just, you know, putting my foot in the water, you know. But here I am, and I absolutely love it. You and love I'm, it. I'm thankful for it. Like, I look forward to going to work. Um, I enjoy my days off. But it's, it's like every third day I'm like, I can't wait. Uh, like, I love the guys I work with, you yeah. know, the camaraderie, all that stuff. So, and that's kind of what you're talking about, coaching. Like, yeah. was it like, I'm going to go start these teams. I'm going to coach. So, it's, it's, you know, some things are you just kind of have to, to wait for the right time. Right. You know? Yeah. Faux show. My head itches. Scratch it? Yeah. So, our, like, you know, I played with you and, and got to play against you, and, like, we really kind of mirrored each other's career a lot more than I even thought at the time. Like, you know, high school, junior college, draft, A-ball, you know, minor leagues, up and down, fluctuate, big leagues, kind of ended at about the same time. It was – paths are they're pretty similar. We have a lot of the same interests – you're a big hunter. We hunt. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, let's talk about the. Oh, yeah. Go on. Go transition the, right I, into I just but Go for it. Off, That's what dude. it's about, dude. So let's talk about hunting. Absolutely. What do you like to hunt? How, is there, are you a bow guy? You haven't got into bow hunting yet, have you? So Much? quick story on it. How, how I got into hunting. Right. Okay. So g- growing up, Globe, Miami, um, I was in the hills with the BB gun. My dad bought me a little shotgun. We went quail hunting. I always had four-wheelers. But, like, we never went big game hunting. I never hunted deer. never hunted elk. Um, my cousins did. My cousins had bow and arrows. My dad actually got me a PSE Junior, bale of hay, shooting bow in the backyard. But I never hunted. So fast forward to 2010. I'm in AAA. Josh Kinney is my roommate on the road. And we get to BSing about this type of stuff after the games. And he's like, wait, you're telling me you grew up and you had a bow? but you never shot a deer and you never shot an elk or you never went big game hunting. I'm like, yeah, man. Like I just shot in the backyard and I moved to Phoenix, played baseball year round. And here we are. He's like, all right, you don't have a bow right now. Didn't have a bow. So he calls his connection over at Matthews, get the Matthews deal sent to the field there in Memphis and days I wasn't playing or we'd show up early to the ballpark. Um, and he helped me set up my bow and he's like, all right. He's like on your way home this year, when you're driving home from St. Louis to Phoenix, you're stopping in Springfield, Missouri. You have a couple hundred acres. Um, we're getting you 
a big game animal. He's got turkey and deer. So sure enough, I, I had one night to hunt. I said, hey, dude, I got one night. I got to be in Albuquerque the next day to pick up Melissa at the airport. And um, he put me on, on the point of these two fields in a tree stand. And he's like, hey, I'm going to be about 100 yards behind you in another stand. But uh, here's where they're going to come out of this tree line at like 4 o'clock, and they're going to come up, you know, your 6 o'clock. And just, he's like, I don't care what it is, turkey, deer, you can shoot Shoot it. something. And uh, sure enough, walking out there, he told me, he's like, the only thing I don't want you to shoot is a button buck. And in my mind, I didn't know what a button buck was. You're like, yeah, no problem. I'm like, yeah, that's that. exactly, yeah, dude, I won't shoot one of those. And uh, so these two deer come out, you know, the, the sun's gone down, it's getting dark, and they're walking towards me. And I see two doe walking towards me. About 40 yards was the last time I ranged them. And they get, you know, I stand up. They're below me 10 yards below, below the tree stand. And end up letting an arrow fly, shot, shot one. It ran, laid down. I text him, dude, I got one. You know, he's like, great, you know. I was like, I shot a doe. He's like, stay in the stand. I'll get over there. I hope you get down. We get down and walk over to it, and sure enough, it's a button buck. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you shot a button buck. And I was like, wait, wasn't I not supposed to shoot one of those? He's like, oh, yeah, but I don't care, man. He's like, congrats. And I was like, dude, I don't even know what a button buck is. He's like, yeah, you see these little nubs where the antlers are trying to come out? It's like a little button. That's, don't do that's, that. Yeah, he's like, Oops. we don't want to shoot those because you never know if it's going to be a good deer, you know. Right. Um, he got me started and, and really I came home that off season and, uh, you know, hunted in January mm-hmm. over the counter here. And, uh, I won't even call it hunting, man. I didn't know what I was doing at that. I was hiking with a bow in my hand. You know, I, I didn't have good binoculars. I had a pair of 10 power Simmons Walmart binoculars. My aunt gave me when I was like in fourth grade. You're trying. We were, we were trying hard, real hard, but, uh, I've been there, but, uh, quickly found out, Sorry, you know, three days ago, <laughs> Quickly found out, you know, that hunting out west is a lot di- different than hunting, you know, in Springfield, Missouri, out of a tree stand. Yes. And uh, spot and stock was, you know, a whole new game to me and optics and, and stuff like that. So um, I've come a long ways, uh, you know, just reading on the forums or listening to J. Scott Outdoors podcasts, things like that. Um, so, so, yeah, I've, I sold my bow, basically, mm-hmm. to build a custom rifle. Just because at that time, hunting out here now... I still couldn't hunt during bow season. It was kind of, you know, August, which mm-hmm. you're still playing baseball, or it's January, which you're getting ready for spring training. And so I loved, I fell in love with rifles, which is kind of backwards because usually people start hunting with a mm-hmm. rifle and they fall in love with the bow. But um, I'm just waiting for an elk tag. I have 12 elk points right now, and I'm just waiting to draw my elk tag, archer elk, and, and I'm, I'm getting another bow for sure. Sweet. Okay. Are you sure. putting in for archery elk? Absolutely. Okay. What, uh, what units have you been putting in for? I love 23, so I've been putting in 23. <laughs> I mean, I don't know many people that don't love 23, but that, that's probably why I have 12 points, too, and I haven't been drawn yet. So north or south? North or south? I typically like north better, but um, from talking to people, that they say south is the one you want to get. Yeah, it only takes 21 points to draw that. Yeah, you know. I might want to go one, of these decades, one or 27. Too, one of these I'm decades, I'll be good. Yeah, 127, I looked at those. those. Yeah, Big Lake, I love that area. That's where my wife shot her. 23 is where my wife shot her bull last year in uh, the late hunt. Nice. From how far? 700 yards. Yeah. Josh Asanovich had that tag a few years back when I helped him on that tag. Did he kill one? We didn't get it done, no. I was up there Saturday and Sunday. Those were the only days I had to, to hunt. But uh, So, Josh, Josh, he did he get drafted? He did. Yep. Yeah. He got drafted out of high school, I believe, the 26th round by the Devil Rays. Um 
and then we both didn't sign. We uh, we went to Central Arizona College for a couple years, and then when I signed with the Cardinals, he actually went his junior year to Arizona State, mm. and then the Devil Rays took him again in the I think it was the eleventh round, maybe tenth round, and he signed with them, got to Double A with them. He called it. Mm-hmm. And then our paths continue where, you know, when I saw you in 06, I was going to real estate school with Josh and with his yeah. wife, Jamie. And so um, the two of them plus Josh's sister, Adria, they, they, they're selling real estate, doing really well for themselves. That's cool. So they're. Where are they at here in the valley? In Gold Canyon. Gold uh-huh. Canyon. They're, they're in the old people community. It's beautiful up there. Yeah, <laughs> I was deer true. hunting there two <laughs> days ago. Go <laughs> like. A lot of javelina. There's two really big mule deer out there. Target practice. Big. Huge. That's cool. Don't be telling people. It's okay. Good. They don't know where I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> right next. Good to luck the, finding it. <coughs> right next to the piles of gold. That's it. Hidden in the yep, right under the so. rainbow. So, uh, what? So 27 last year. One year ago tomorrow. Will be the elk. Day. Your first. Is that your first elk? That was, uh, Yeah. Have you hunted? So you hunt deer, right? Right. I put it for deer and elk. Did you? You have a tag this year? I don't. No, I had, a, I had a. I had a over the counter. I'm sorry. I had a leftover tag last year down in 35A. Yep. Know where that's at? Killed a deer uh, on my birthday, November 10th. Coos deer. Little coos. Cool man. Yeah, it was. It was my best. Picture, my, yeah. my best coos today. It was. It was on my birthday, probably by I think by 6:30 in the morning. It was done. And so you're into long range shooting. I do. I enjoy that quite a bit. Of but even with my bow, I remember, you know, Josh and I, we had our bows, and all those days when we were out hiking with our bows, calling it hunting, we would kind of end the day just down in the river bottom shooting it, shooting at our block and just kind of backing up. Like, can we shoot, hit it at 60 yards, 80 yards? I just kind of found myself always going farther, even trying to do long-range archery type yeah, stuff. there's nothing wrong with that at all. No, it's fine. <laughs> we go out to 120 at the house right now. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I like, man. What um kind of what caliber do you like your go to for? So I built my custom rifle in a three hundred rum. Three hundred rum, what kind of barrel? So it's a twenty eight inch Krieger barrel. Great, yeah, that's good barrel. And what action did you use? I did a Remington seven hundred, and I had the guys at Phoenix Custom Rifles. They they blueprinted and trued it. Yeah, and tuned it up pretty nice. That's cool. And then what kind of stock? Uh, HS Precision stock. HS Precision. That's a good stock too. Not bad. Yeah, not bad. So the guys down there at the that true deer action that they do all the work on the stock. They and did all the bedding and all that stuff. I, I basically I kind of geeked out on that stuff and kind of bought all the the parts myself and, yeah. and just went and dropped a pile of parts with them and they they put it all together and did their magic and bedded it and. And what scope it, do you have on it? I have the uh, Vortex Gen Two Razor HD. Yeah. Four and a half to twenty seven. I have that one too. I love it. Is it the thirty four mil? Millimeter tube? Yes. Thing's so freaking big, dude. It, it's awesome, though. It's a good scope. I love it. And what do you use for your ballistics? Um, as far as, like, a ballistic calculator. Mm-hmm. So I use a shooter app on my phone. The but, shooter app. Mm-hmm. And then I also like the uh, SIG rangefinder, the 2400 ABS. That gives you the calculations mapped out. Real in time. It. Yeah, so just So how far does the SIG one go? Give you calculations. I heard there was, like... One of them only does 800 yards. So the 2400, I mean, pretty much as far as you can get a reading. So uh, it'll, you know, calculate it'll, it'll, it. it'll calculate your dope all the way to 
2,000 yards, you know, I, I think yeah. ideally 2,400, hence the 2,400. But um, yeah. I've had the G7, which I love the G7. So I have the G7. G7's great. I mean, they're, they're like the first ones on the market to kind of do everything all in one. It's just bigger. It's bigger. And then your your dope is only valid kind of out to 1,400 yards. It'll range past 14, but just won't give you your data. So yeah. I'm not trying to hunt and shoot and kill something at 1,400 yards, but to practice, you know, you have a 300 rum. You can reach out to 1,500 yards, and it'd be nice to just have that, that dope. So that's where I like the SIG. Um, it does a couple other things a little bit different than G7 as far as, like, your – it knows your direction. You're, you know, if you're shooting south or, or north, east, west, kind of your Coriolis. And yeah, the Coriolis effect, right. So um, what is your – what pack do you have? Kuyu. I have the, the – Same one? The Icon Pro 7200. Yeah. Actually, Same one, dude. dude. I forgot. No of the, I got that in Reno. Yeah. So Cody was there for all that. Yeah, we hey. went down to, what, in Sac? We went to Sacramento, the, yeah. rented a car, and drove to we rented a car out in Dixon, California. And, uh, That's a big pack. It is. But uh, if you have all the gear, it fills up pretty quick, I bet. Right. I he, tend to err on, like, the bigger side of things. For some he had it reason. in the clubhouse. He was putting all his catcher's gear in it. <laughs> taking it out <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's my equipment bag that year. Yeah, he took it out much. to the bullpen every day. No, pretty not much. really. It was in the clubhouse, so. But, uh, no, I started that season. I actually had a, a Sitka set up. I had all Sitka gear, head to toe, had their pack. Um, I actually liked their pack quite a bit, but I just didn't have room for a Coos deer plus all my gear. You know, it was just kind of smaller inside. Yeah. And so I'd, I'd heard a lot about Kuyu and read a lot about Kuyu, and it was like I just had a hard time spending that money without putting my hands on the product and, you know, in, in Reno, we play against Sacramento. And so Cody and I were, were in, in Sacramento, and I rent a car. I'm like, I'm 30 minutes from Kuyu headquarters. I'm, I'm going to rent a car and just go there and and basically walked out of there. They were actually having some good sales. I showed up at the field that day. I think I bought yeah. two packs on, on clearance, one for yeah. Josh. I think they were 50% off. I called Josh and was like, hey, man, you want a Kuyu pack at 50% off? And so, yeah. Um, Showed up at the clubhouse in Sacramento straight from Kuyu headquarters and basically ended up selling all my Sitka stuff, which paid for my Kuyu stuff. And uh, I still have it. It's It's been great gear. I think that is a good lesson to learn when you buy quality stuff. Absolutely. It lasts a lot longer. I've been in that circle where you're buying the cheaper one because you just can't swallow the pill paying all the money. I never – I used to go to Bass Pro – and see like two thousand dollar rifle scopes in the case. I'm like, what idiot paid two thousand dollars for a scope on a rifle? You know, and, yeah. and I'm that idiot now. He's like, no, I have a four thousand dollar one. Just don't tell. But my I got wife. a deal on it, so it's okay. <laughs> I got, you know, with the discounts. Yeah. You know, it's good. No, I, I got a good deal on it. Like even a good pair don't of binos, like my pair of fifteen Suaros, I had for fifteen years. And they're, they're just fine. Right. They work great. Absolutely. So. And I've learned that. I think it's just kind of, you know, my first rifle scope, you know, was a Vortex, probably $315 little Diamondback, you know. And yeah. then, then I realized it's it's got the BDC reticle, you know, and, and I thought that was cool, you know. Mm-hmm. But then I, you know, it's fogging up on me, and then I ended up returning it because it was fogging up too much, and then. I go to the PST, you know, where you can actually dial and you don't have the BDC reticle and you can start using um, some some ballistic calculators and things like that, learning how to do those things. And it's just been just some evolution, you know, and I start building a custom rifle and then learning how to reload for it and and all that stuff. Yeah. 
No, I I'm geeked out on long range too, so yeah. I'm kinda geeked You're out. Kind of geeked out on a lot. A lot of stuff. I got problems. Like I don't have <laughs> Definitely you know, likes to geek out. It's not that turn around and look behind you. I <laughs> You know, like, you yes, have a you passion, and then you're like, I got too many passions. It's okay to be passionate about things. This last year has been downsizing everything. Like, That's just incredible to me. I got downsized that a lot you're of downsized. Time. Downsized. There's value in that. Because you're missing one in here. It's, at the, it's getting exhausted. I know where it's at. I saw, yeah, it. saw it. So, yeah, I, I'm just like. Really, I think it's important if you're going to be a hunter to invest in your equipment and spend good money on it. Not just that, though, but to know it, you know. And I think oh, that, especially know, if yeah. you're doing the long-range thing, because I think you see a lot of guys, it's gotten real popular. I think it's it's one thing to, to have the money to spend on it to say I have it, but then do you know how to actually use it, mm-hmm. especially if you're going to hunt with it in that manner. And right. it's it for me, it's not like I don't have to shoot an animal. You know, I never back up to, to make it further. But for me, I learned real quick hunting in Arizona that, like, you know, you can jump a deer, you can jump something, and all of a sudden he's down a ridge and up, up the other side of the canyon, and he's just added 500 yards to that distance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and you always try to close that oh, gap. Like, you know, the sun's going down, the last day of the hunt, whatever, you know, and it's like, I want to I train, I want to be good enough to make those shots, you know? I, I think a lot of people, because it's become popular, like you said, They'll buy a gun. They'll buy a nice scope even. And then they go buy box ammo. They don't chrono their gun. They don't even know what the BCs are on them. They don't even practice pulling the trigger. Yeah. I saw a really good friend that's a a guide. He's guided me a couple times, and he's a taxidermist. We're really close. And he had a client in Unit 23 he said, your job is to find the elk. My job is to shoot the elk. And I'll, I'm good at my job. That's what he told him. Like, you just find it, I'll kill it. And I'm like, this is, I could already tell where the conversation was going. And there, he shows me these videos of these bulls. I mean, they're huge. I'm like, he passed on that bull? <laughs> <laughs> like, he's an idiot. <laughs> like, yeah. he passed on that? Late rifle hunt, you're passing on 350 bulls, like, yeah, okay. And he's like, he'd show him, I think, 10 different bulls, and he decided that he wanted to shoot the very first bull <laughs> from day one. It's a huge bull. Paul made it all the way back, just looked gnarly. He's like, all right, 700 yards. He's like, okay, gets down on the rifle, pulls the trigger. And I, I saw the video of it, he's filming the whole thing. He hit like in the dirt like 10 feet below the elk <laughs> never dialed up <laughs> no he's like what what happened he's like that was your job bud <laughs> found it yeah he's like oh like the box said it would do that <laughs> see like they just i, I th- it's so important and i've shot long range and i've killed game at distances and to not shoot more than you've practiced like don't go over the yardage than what unless you've done that in real life absolutely because like i noticed like 600 i could i'm really good at it but then when i bumped it to 800 it was like way harder 
and then go 800 to 1,000. Yeah, the gun could definitely perform, but can you perform? But you got to take all those steps, right? Like chronoing, getting your shooter out, and getting all the ballistics put in. You have to geek out a little bit. Absolutely, and then it's it's the same way. It's like you got to train the same way you're going to play, you know, yeah. whether it's baseball, whether it's hunting, you know, business. Like if you just sit on a shooter's bench and try to shoot out to 1,000 yards, but you never lay prone or you never get in a little offhand position shooting off a tree branch or yeah. from a knee, it's like, yeah, people. You ready? Look, you ready for this out. idea right now? Well, I don't want to hear Sorry it. to interrupt. Cut we, off. We need a total rifle challenge. A total rifle challenge. TRC? The the TRC. I mean, <laughs> like we cut. went on this total archery challenge, Pags, and it's... It looked amazing. How cool would it be if we Five had miles of hiking, and you're taking shots that you would take to hunt. Can we do this with the rifle? Yeah. Vortex has that. We would, the Vortex Stop extreme. it right now. Come on. We, we you're screwing see. me up. Unit 27. I, I came Unit up one. with this. Unit 1. We could set up like metal targets at different ranges and like what Pags was saying, like this shot you have yeah. to shoot off a tree branch. Right. This shot you can lay down. Right. This one's a freehand shot. So anybody out there that has like four thousand acres that would care to do this, please contact us. ASAP. ASAP. We want the TRC. Or T- we can call it whatever you want. The trick. 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 Call it the trick. So I'm in though on that. I'm I'm in on it. Okay. I appreciate Mr. Pags coming in here and telling us your story, buddy. Yeah, sorry we had to start over. (laughs) Yeah, sorry that you had to tell it twice. (laughs) It's all good, man. Um, It's good to see you guys. You too. But we have, before we go, we have our review of the week. Yeah, we're putting you on the spot right now. Brought to you by Mr. Pagnozzi. Pagnozzi. What are you product, gonna review it, bud? Product review. It's, it's something I used. Um, I got last year for my my dad for a birthday present. I got him the uh, the uh, Vortex uh, Furies five thousand. So it's a ten by forty two binocular. Call it the Fury five thousand, but they have a built in rangefinder as well. And so it's think of like Vortex if you're familiar with their optics. It's gonna be like their Vortex Viper HD line, kind of a, uh, a mid tier. It's HD glass, but then um, they originally came out with a 1600, you know, rangefinder built in, but they just bumped it up to the 5000, and I was really impressed by it. Um, typically, I just hunt with the only pair of binos that I have, which were the Kaibab 15s, and I'd put them on my chest, which is a little obnoxious. But being my only pair of binos, that's where they went. Um, so now I borrow my dad's Furies, and they come with a nice chest strap, you know, bino pouch. Um, I was really impressed not just by the optics, but the range finding of capabilities. Um, I've never been super impressed by the, the distance that their range finders can range, kind of limited to 800 yards, even though if they're, they're labeled as 1,600, uh, just reliable, wasn't, wasn't always out to those distances. But those Fury 5000s, I was ranging mule deer at, at 2,300 yards, just to kind of a point where it was a little bit obnoxious. It's like we need to range something a little bit closer than this. But between those and, and the, uh, yeah, you got them pulled up right yeah. there. Check they're, them out. They're compact size. Um, Small. So if you're looking for something, if, if you're looking to upgrade, Fit right um, in the Sitka. upgrade your rangefinder, and you need a pair of binos, like for me, the ease of use to mount them to, even to, you know, glassing with tens on tripod is still great. Yeah. And to, to not have to come out of your, your tens 
and all you have to do is hit a button and to have an instant range, whether it be on an animal or you, you see the animal, but now you're trying to plan your stock. It's like, man, if I can get to that ridge over there and down to that little knob and shoot from there and being able to have, you know, I like, I like distance. So naturally, if it's shooting rifles at distance, you want a range finder that can do it. But in, in this case, it's, it's just knowing your, your terrain. And, and knowing how to navigate it, and that's that's what came in, in handy with those rangefinders. Yeah, they, um, I think too, like you're eliminating a piece of equipment by getting those binos. Absolutely, because now you don't have to carry a binos tol- and a, a rangefinder. And a rangefinder. Yeah. Are they uh, angle compensation everything too? They are. Yeah, they are. Probably, Absolutely. Just want to make sure. <laughs> it's a big deal. <laughs> it is a big deal. <laughs> big deal. Just had to make sure. Um, down big downhill shots. Have you ever had experience with their customer service on the warranty side? I have actually with my Kaibabs. Um, I had a, a minor issue with them; is it wasn't during season. It was actually after season. But um, I called up customer service, sent them in to kind of get overhauled and, and checked out. I think it was kind of just between the, the left barrel and the right barrel, kind of being out of um, sync yeah. with the focus knob. And I was blown away by their customer service. As far as they said, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll just ship it to us. We'll pay the return shipping. And I sent them out on a Monday, and I think I had them back, like, on Saturday. That's awesome. Wow. It, was, it was amazing. And, that uh, means they, right when they got it, they fixed it. Absolutely. And then just immediately packed it up, shipped it back. I think people or just gave you a new one and you didn't know it. Like, maybe. They're like, <laughs> That's their thing. Fix it, replace right, it, yeah. you know. So <clears throat> I mean, think, if you think about it, you're, if you spend a good amount of money on a pair of binos, optics, you are married to those optics usually for a very long time. So customer service has to be there. Right. It doesn't have good customer service. I'd rather get a product that might not be as good as the other one, just purely on customer service. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for me, it's been a thing where, especially starting out, where, you know, you're looking at that $2,000 rifle scope, thinking like, what idiot buys that? Yeah. You know, and you become that idiot that's, that's paying that much money knowing that there's some peace of mind, a warranty be behind it, whether it's my fault or not, um, that it's going to be taken care of and made right. Um, it's, it's big, you know, and Vortex, they've, they've come a long ways. You know, I wouldn't say their glasses is as equal to a Swarovski, but their, their new Razor UHD binos, I'm blown away the quality of glass. It, it's a big step up from their, their Razor line previously, which they still have, but the Razor UHDs, um, I think they're, they're pushing that envelope, you know, and, and it's good. You know, competition's good, whether it be in sports, <laughs> sports, business, you know, right. hunting gear. It's, it's, it's nice when companies are, are being innovative and coming out better products and it's pushing Swarovski to raise their bar, you know, and, and everything is getting better. And as a consumer, you benefit. And they did. And they just came out with a new pair called the Pure. Have you seen those? The NLs? I've heard about Oh, them. my gosh. They're I haven't so touched them. expensive. <laughs> like, here's the cool thing. Like, but. Here's the thing that is really cool that I see going on with optics is that there's more brands in the marketplace, um, and it gives you an option. Like, I, I'm using a pair of Mavens 18s that I, I'm in love with, and I w- if a Suaro's a 10, these are a 9. But if I went to a Suaro... I'd be paying double. Right. What's that worth to you? And so then it comes into play customer service, right? 
And actually, I've been really disappointed with Suaro's customer service. Really? Um, they used to be just like Vortex. It didn't matter what happened. They're going to fix it. Not anymore. And coming from a hunter, the odds that you're sending these things back for repair are very high. I mean, I had three seasons in a row that I had to send my 15s in. And it was a $500 bill every time. Oh, and wow. They didn't fix, they wouldn't cover it. So it was, I guess, my fault, whatever. Did you fall on them? I dropped them three <laughs> different times. Jeez. Yeah, I, was, I had some bad luck with those things, man. Well. It was like bad karma, so I sold them. I got them fixed and sold them immediately when I got back. Good move. But, um, yeah, I agree. Like, there's more competition. Gives people, man, like, you don't have to pay that crazy price anymore. What's well, nice Options. too is, is they're listening to customers too. And a lot of the customer feedback and requests, and it'd be nice if we had this or you know make this adjustment or the range button being on the right hand versus the left hand, things like that. You know, some hunters like a lot of the hunters that are back east, they don't need the optics we need. It's a completely different game. They don't care about Swaro and how clear it is. They're like, I sit in this tree stand. I don't think hey, they, they walk 20 yards from you. I don't even know if they bring binos with them. Just a range find. But I think, I think they geek out in a different way where they're geeking out like planting their soybeans or yes. stuff like that. Yes. You know what I mean? Agreed. And their clover. And, and we're geeking out over gear. And, and to me, them, their gears, the their food blinds or the plots yeah, yeah. or, you know, that stands, type of stuff. Just management of their land and, too. Yeah. It would be their right. lease or the, the land they own. Hey, we're not shooting this buck because, you know, management yeah. Yeah. yeah that's cool yeah well i don't have anything else cody you got anything else no we're we're deep into this one today so especially we could go all night but we'll get I you know. back on here another time man it's, it's good I'm, catching up with you i yeah, look forward to it yeah. yeah i'd love to come back on appreciate you coming man had a good time and, ditto uh, all right thank you for listening to playing the game podcast um give vortex a look at that new Fury. Fury. The 10 by 42 Fury rangefinder. Sounds pretty cool. So give it a check out. And if you're looking for some real estate needs, call up, look, Google Matt Pagnozzi. Has you got a, a website or anything? Matt? MattPagnozzi.com. MattPagnozzi.com. He's Send a no good more. dude. If you want an honest guy that's going to work hard for you on your real estate side, give him a call. Um, appreciate it, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next week. See ya. See ya.